1980, I first came to Zimbabwe. My hair was charcoal black. <laughs> Watched a whole generation for 22 years in the nation. And I want to encourage you today, God is working salvation in Zimbabwe. Amen. Through the shortages, through the strife, the confusion, everything that's going on, God is winning the soul of a nation. It's hard at times. The Messiah, Jesus, didn't bring what people had expected. The Israelites, the Jewish people, were looking for political, economic, uh, social salvation. God was doing a much deeper work. And we will come out of the wilderness a different people in Zimbabwe. And we'll be able to enter into the promise of land and not forget God. God has caused this nation to have only one place to look. That's up to God. So be encouraged with what God's doing. Two Saturdays ago, the Saturday before the Monday that I left to come to Zimbabwe, I had my second grandchild, another girl. <laughs> Through my second son, Nathan. I'll never forget when Everly, the first one, was born because Perry's all of about 97 pounds. She was very pregnant. We went to the hospital and they let Pawpaw and Mimi in right after the delivery. And I'll never forget going into the delivery room, leading the way through the door. My eyes were met by Perry holding Everly, like a little sausage, sitting in bed, just beaming, the smile. She looked angelic, just peace. And I looked in the corner. And there on a metal chair sitting was my son Nathan with this wild look in his eyes. <laughs> and I looked back at Perry, I looked at Nathan, I said, how'd it go? And she just smiled. And Nathan said, Dad, it was really hard until they gave us an epidural. <laughs> and I said, us? And I looked and I said, who'd they give the epidural to first? You or Perry? It's a lot easier being a grandparent. We've been talking about marriage. And I want to share with you three things today that will make for a mighty marriage. Communication, conflict, resolution, and intimacy. When I get back to Cincinnati, a week later, we'll celebrate 39 years. We'll be celebrating. We were married at the Mabel Rain Chapel in 1981, on February the 28th. 20, uh, 20. Man, sounds like a science fiction movie, doesn't it? So I've learned some things, some helpful tools that I hope will help you. And I'll never forget my wife, our second 
anniversary. I was really busy. I was in Bible school. I was working. It was the morning. I was... She said to me, what's today? I said, oh, it's Saturday. She said, no, but what's today? <laughs> and I knew I was... <laughs> it's our anniversary. <laughs> I'll be back shortly, right? <laughs> Communication. That's number one. Couples were asked what one thing would improve their marriage. And there was a list of things. More sex. More money. Something related to the kids or the in-laws. And there were several other things. But what was circled was communication. Communication is how you enter into marriage, isn't it? You said something. She said something. He said something. She said something. He said, you know. And so on it went until I do. Awesome. Communication. That's what couples said would improve their marriage. Not just chit-chat communication. But communication on a deeper level. You know, guys... And girls are different. Men and women. They're wired different. Guys, it's the headlines. For women, it's more the details and the particulars. For guys, it's more rational, I think. For women, it's more intuitive, I feel. And so communication takes on a little bit of a dynamic between a man and a woman they say women typically have more words to say than men. You know, the guy comes home. He'd been talking at work. He'd been getting things done. He's been on the phone. And he's just about out of words, right? The wife, maybe she's been home with the kids. She's got a whole lot of words. And so the guy has to learn to communicate. I'll never forget meeting my wife in a class called the end of the world at Xavier University. It was the end of my world. <laughs> this brunette came into the class. I remember sitting and watching her come over and she sat down and I kind of saw her profile. She, it was spring in Cincinnati. She had sandals on, her wavy hair, her delicate features. Sunlight was coming in. There was a little hint of red in her hair. <laughs> it would have been love at first light, but I was kind of consumed with the end of the world, right? I just come to Jesus a few months before that. She invited me to a young adult group, and that's how our relationship began. I would pick her up plus another young lady, and we go to the young adult group. After a while, it was just me picking Pat up. And afterwards, we, a shared passion we had for ice cream and chocolate. And so our relationship began to develop, and we began to communicate. That's when I felt the call to Zimbabwe, and I was invited, and I set a date to come. And I'll never forget being with Pat at a young adult retreat at Houston Woods. We were there for the weekend. And I was in leaving mode. And we were 
in the children's play area. I don't know what you call them here, but they're made out of metal. They're round and they have different sections. And you can get the thing to move around and around. So we're leaning on this metal roundabout and talking. And the sun was beginning to set, but there was, a, there was a storm in the distance. You could still see the sun, but there were clouds and some lightning and rain was coming our way. And I said, you know, I don't know if I'll marry. It's partly my Roman Catholic upbringing. You know, if you're really going to serve God, you got to be celibate. And I said, you know, marriage is a real commitment. It's for life. And I remember Pat saying, I, I, I don't see myself living in the suburbs and with a dog in the yard in a house. Not a typical kind of life. And we talked back and forth, and I remember the clouds coming and the, and the flashes of lightning and, and then a rumble, and it approached our way. And we shared our, our deepest thoughts, our misgivings, our, our, our concerns. It was a budding romance, holding hands, tender kisses. And I kind of withdrawn from her the two weeks prior to leaving. I'll never forget, she coming to, I was staying with my parents, she coming to the house to say farewell and giving me this card. It had a passage. If you've got the Bible, Song of Solomon, I want to share a verse with each of these keys to a mighty marriage. Song of Solomon in chapter 2 she put this verse telling me what our relationship had meant to her. Verse 3. Like an apple tree among the trees of the woods, so is my beloved among the young men. I sat down in his shade with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. She had written that scripture on that card. It really touched my heart. Like a typical guy, I, I, I didn't really know what to say. I said, I'm going to miss you too. <laughs> and I kind of blurted it out and never forget she kissed me on the cheek and I watched her as she made the way from the porch into her yellow Volkswagen and drive up the street out of my sight. And I thought to myself, and I wondered, I may never know such love. Came to Zimbabwe, didn't take long. That first month I realized I cannot live without this young lady. And my letter of just facts about my first week in Zimbabwe and the people and the places and I wrote to her and her first letter came back and I had said a sweet thing or two in that letter besides all the facts. Her letter came, I like the sweet things you say to me. And my travel log quickly became letters of love. I love you. We still have a shoebox of this. And I mention that because communication often in marriage 
from that early first love, that sweetness, that apple tree, that shade from the storm or the sun or, or, or from the elements, digresses. Pat and I, and I want to give you a principle for each of these. When it comes to communication, Pat and I learned something early in our marriage that helped us immensely. I call it couch time. We were at, and I can't even remember if it was a seminar, if it was a Sunday or where, but we heard, take time each day, sit on the couch with your spouse and talk. Not a business meeting, not what has to be done. How are you doing? How are you feeling? What's happening in your heart? It's a good thing to ask children as well when they're small. How's your heart? What's happening in your heart? But we learn to communicate. Pat later would say, and it was true, although I didn't realize it, she said, you didn't talk a whole lot when I first met you. Guys sometimes have to learn to talk, share their feeling, share their thoughts. I feel this way. It's, it's the editorial part of the newspaper, not the facts. Some guys are just the facts, madam. You know, there was a show where there was a detective. He'd go to just the facts. No. How are you feeling? Oh, I know we don't live by our feelings, but it's so important that we're able to acknowledge them and be able to communicate them, that we have someone that we can share with our deepest feelings. Communication. Couch time. In the Song of Solomon, there's a theme that runs, and you'll see in verse 5 of this chapter, the beloved speaks of being lovesick. We'll talk a little bit about that at the end, but just to mention in passing, lovesick. Several times in the Song of Solomon. It appears in verse 5 of chapter 2. My heart is lovesick. We're different. My wife and I, very different. They say opposites attract. If you know my wife, you'll know we, we're, we're different. People have different personalities. They have different upbringings, their family of origin, how their parents may be related to money, how they relate it to all kinds of things. Different needs, different desires. It's a potential for conflict, isn't it? Conflict. If a man says he's never argued with his wife, he will probably lie about other things too. <laughs> I met a guy once sharing the gospel with him. He said, but I'm not a sinner. Never told a lie. Probably lie about other things too. <laughs> we see this conflict in the Song of Solomon in chapter 5. We'll read that. We'll talk about conflict for a moment. Look at it in chapter 5 in verses 2 to 3. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks saying, 
open for me, my sister, my love. She's already done for the day. She doesn't respond immediately. When she does, it says, I open for my beloved. This is verse 6. But my beloved turned away and was gone. My heart went out to him when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave no answer. She then, then goes on a search for him. And there's some pain and discomfort by the watchman. And then she says, if you find my beloved, tell him I am lovesick. There's conflict. There's going to be conflict. I know in my marriage, one area of conflict, and I know where I got it. My mom was a depression baby. So when it came to spending money, save, 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 right? There's going to be a rainy day. And so I grew up with, and I became a saver. Sometimes you have one spouse who's a spender and one who's a saver. One says, money's meant to be spent. Today. <laughs> now. How much we got. So it created a little bit of a conflict, right? My mom kind of summed it up this way. Not that she knew about this conflict much, but again, for her, saving was really important. And she said it this way. She said, Pat's got wine taste and you've got beer money. <laughs> and I, I, I was at Bible school. I was paying tuition. I was working as an orderly in a hospital. And the beer money would run out sometimes before the month. And Pat, she, um, she, she go into a shop. There's no price tag on the goods. She will gravitate, though, <laughs> invariably to the most expensive item, right? <laughs> I'll find out what's the price on those. <laughs> and, of course, that created a little bit of conflict for us, for me. Later, I kind of turn the tables in my mind and I say, well, maybe that's why she chose me. <laughs> that kind of helped me. And then other things as well. Well, the, you buy the cheap stuff and it breaks six months later, right? Or it fades and wears out and it doesn't wear well at all. Quality, right? We didn't have much money. Kind of like the pastor's wife who came home with a new dress. And the pastor was like, we don't have money for this. You're buying a new dress. She said, oh, I, you know, and maybe, the, maybe it was the devil. I just did it. I bought it, you know. She, he said, you know what you say to the devil? You say, get behind me, Satan. She said, I did. I said that. And he said, it looks nice from back here, too. <laughs> We have different wants, different desires. And for a guy to foreclose or shut down on a woman and her need to communicate, 
and talk about her feelings. It's just as detrimental to the marriage as the woman shutting the guy down on his sexual drive. And I've seen that happen in marriages. I've seen where we were talking Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Peter said, dwell with them according to knowledge. But I never forget a couple. We're in Ephesians 5 and she says, because men need honor there. It says, wise honor your husband. She said, I'll honor him when he loves me. Like Christ loves the church. He said, I'll love her like Christ loves the church when she honors me. And they were in this stalemate. They can go on for years in the same house, under the same roof. But conflict is the climate. And communication is minimal. Couch time. The other time I'll refer to a principle we learned is called spoon time. We all know a spoon, right? And sometimes conflict can get pretty intense. And what happens in the communication is a guy wants to solve it real quick. Wife gets a couple words out and he's already interjecting. He's not swift to listen and slow to speak, trying to control it. I know it can happen the other way as well. But what I'm saying is that there's this conflict and the spoon means, okay, when it's intense, we get a spoon, I hold the spoon. That means it's my turn to talk, right? And so I talk and, and we agree, after I'm finished talking, I put the spoon in the middle of the table, maybe we were eating together, I put the spoon in the middle of the table, which means we're attacking the problem not one another. It's a problem that we both have. She picks the spoon up, or I pick the spoon up after she's had her chance. Now I've got the spoon. And we go back and forth with the spoon, but the spoon also has, as you know, what looks a little bit like a heart. And we're wanting to speak in such a way, like we did when we first met, that's tender that has some sweetness to it. I've seen bitterness in our marriages, resentment. No, the spoon also represents, we're speaking to someone's heart. We're trying to solve a problem. One wants to stay and one wants to go. One has a felt need this way, the other has a felt need that way. And there's conflict. Something related to the kids. Maybe it's money. We don't project onto the other person. Well, you think, no, you don't know what the other, the person has to tell you what they think. You have to qualify, what are you saying? You shouldn't feel that way. Well, they, they feel that way, right? You make me so mad. Well, nobody can make you mad. They can provoke you but they can't make you anything. And you begin to realize we are on the same team. We are in the same boat. We are together. We are in covenant. And so this conflict then, this spoon time is crucial. So crucial. 
And there's always things that can create conflict. Many of you know we lost our youngest child. It'll be three years in April. And when it first happened, my heart was just crushed, shattered, like a windscreen, thousand pieces. Sure, I'm going to function and I'm going to be able to do the memorial and to be able to talk to the news about his fate and what an open door and with his friends. But in my heart, I was so shattered. I'll never forget, very soon afterwards, Pat found me in the, in the hallway on my face. And I had been just crying before the Lord. God, you've never hurt me like this before. And Pat said, Mark, we got to get on with our lives. And you know, grief, people grieve differently. And I went from grief to anger in about a split half a second. I said, you will not tell me how to grieve my son's death. And I will not tell you how to grieve. They say often when a child, especially in their late teens, it can create conflict. Never forget being with a couple. She was suicidal. He comforted himself by saying, well, if she had lived, it was at birth, complications with her heart, big hole in her heart, needed a heart transplant. He said to himself, she's going to have trouble all her life. It's bad. But she, she needed to talk. She needed to grieve. I was preaching a week later. And as I was preaching, God just opened my eyes. I saw my wife. I saw her heart. In an instant, like a little girl, her parents had separated and divorced when she was three. Mom tried to take her life at that point. I, I, I saw her in the home she grew up in, which was like lifelong grief. Mom was melancholy by nature, depression. Eventually took her life when we were in Zimbabwe. And I saw that it scared her when she saw the depth of my grief. She took away all the conflict. And I loved her like I never loved her before because I saw where she was at. In conflict, and this is what I want you to understand, conflict is a doorway into greater intimacy. My wife and I, are closer and it is sweeter and it is better than it has ever been. I don't know what areas of conflict might be in your marriage, but I know marriage has conflict. But it can be a gateway, it can be a doorway into great intimacy. Song of Solomon. Turn over chapter 2 to chapter 7. Verses 10 to 12. I am my beloved's and his desires toward me. Come my beloved. Let us go forth to the field 
Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded. Whether the grapes blossoms, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. What a picture of intimacy. The Bible ends with a wedding. With the union between Christ and his bride. The Bible says it's a great mystery that I'm talking about. But when I talk about a man leaving his father and mother and being joined to his wife, I'm talking about Christ in the church. It's a great mystery. Not just a mystery, but a great mystery. And then Paul talks about that relationship between husband and wife. The most intimate there is in creation. And then, of course, the only greater one in the Song of Solomon speaks of this as well. Christ and his church. You know, to be loved and to be known by someone else more than any other. God created us with not only that capacity and desire, but that deep need for intimacy. And lovesick is mentioned again because people who don't have that and have had it because she or he once knew that love. They pine and desire and long for it. And so some false intimacies, places that are broken cisterns that can't hold water, and they're left empty like they were before. But if we will learn to communicate, we'll learn to resolve the conflict, we'll allow it to be a gateway into further intimacy, to know and to be known. Life is so precious. It's to be lived before another. It doesn't have to be marriage. God calls some people to singleness. But they have a community also in which they're known and they know and they love and are loved. But in marriage, oh, I call it bedtime. You know, bedtime's at the end of the day. End of our lives. Someone has known me like nobody else and loved me like nobody else. At the end of the day, as I put my head on the pillow, I'm satisfied. I have known love. And that is to live. Intimacy. In chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, set me as a seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm for love is as strong as death jealousy is cruel as the grave its flames are flames of fire a most vehement flame many waters cannot quench love all the troubles of Zimbabwe all the waters beating against the house cannot quench love nor can the floods drown it if a man would give for love 
all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. For that bedtime love, that end of the day love, to exchange that for anything else is contemptible. It is not worth it. Even if one were to give all their wealth, be utterly despised. God created us for intimacy. The way we first spoke, the way we first longed to be with one another, the efforts that we made. Too often we realize what we have lost only when it's gone. What we had and took for granted. I want to encourage you as I close this morning. Have couch time. Communicate with one another. Have the spoon time when there's conflict. May all the troubles, all the tests and difficulties, all the challenges bring you and your beloved closer together. Let us not become lovesick. Only lovesick in the sense that we long to have that to the point where we make every effort. And we let nothing divide us, cut us asunder, separate us. We despise all those other things that would. What is money? Right? What are these other things? Wealth. But to be loved, to know love. So as you focus on marriage, thank you for this opportunity to encourage you with my journey in the couch time, spoon time, and bedtime from the Song of Solomon.